Welcome to the Gay Fathers Podcast. Join us as our guests share stories of coming out, raising kids, and more. Thank you to the Utah Gay Fathers Association for producing this podcast. Interested in sharing your story? Reach out to us at podcast at gayfathers.org. Welcome to episode four of the Gay Fathers Podcast. Today we are talking with Craig. Welcome, Craig. Thank you. I'm glad to have you here and, and good to talk to you. Craig and I met, well, we've been on, we've known each other on Facebook for a little bit, and mm-hmm. then I w- came down to, uh, to Orem, where we're actually recording this at, at Craig's home, and uh, I met him in person for the first time at uh, Utah County Rainbow, Rainbow Dads, Dads and, and Friends, friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, meeting two weeks ago, a week and a half ago? It was last week. Somewhere around there, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and... It was a great group and, and a great meeting. So we just decided this would be a great opportunity to record, and, and I really appreciate Craig taking the time to, to visit with us today. So so listen in. Thank you. So as we start out with most of, most of our podcasts, we'll just talk a little bit about kind of the question of when did you come to the realization that you were gay or same-sex attracted or that you just didn't fit that mold? Uh, when I think hard enough, back in my early childhood, um, I remember liking music and liking um, playing with dolls. And it was unusual because all of my male friends wanted to go out and you know, do different types of things. Mm-hmm. And growing up, one of my best friends was a girl, and she was just a year older than me. But I just always remember from the age of, let's say, five or six, being attracted to guys. And in particular, you know, like, if it was possible, we could go skinny dipping so I could see them, you know, naked. Mm -hmm. And I found that thrilling for some reason or other. It was just kind of an enticement that I liked. Right. But I don't ever remember really wanting to be with women in a loving or sensual situation but I did with men Uh and it was interesting because you know throughout junior high and high school I had lots of girlfriends I always had a girlfriend but I never kissed him and I always wanted to go out with a guy and be able to kiss him Mm -hmm. and it just was not feasible growing up in northern Utah (laughs) So would you say that you had a pretty full realization that, I mean, at that point in your mind, were you, were you looking at it as, well, I have this attraction or were you looking at it as, you know, I, I'm gay, but I can't be gay or some other. I knew I was different, but at the same time, I felt like maybe this was just a normal phase of life because I had many male friends, we would go off. You know, we would hunt frogs and lizards and snakes in the West Fields. And there were times that we would, you know, have sleepovers. And, of course, we would be naked or we would fool around a little bit. And I thought, well, because they did and I did, that was a normal thing. As we grew older and older, they stopped wanting to do that. But I wanted to continue doing that. Mm -hmm. And so I kept them as friends but kept them at that distance because I didn't want to cause an ostracization of that friendship. I didn't want to right. lose that friendship. 
And so I encountered or looked for other friends who had the potential of providing me those desires or fulfilling those desires. Would you have labeled it back then as looking for a partner or somebody, or was it just... I, I think it was more just the finding someone who was like me. Uh-huh. I wanted to find someone who had similar desires or similar, similar likes as far as that. And the friends that I kept at a little bit of a distance, we still went and did the hunting and the camping and the, you know, we would have sleepovers, but I didn't attempt anything with them anymore. Whereas these other friends, we would experiment and we would, we would, you know, try all different things. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I was 15, I had my first actual sexual experience and all of a sudden we had a fireside. And one of the high counselors, who was my medical doctor, mm-hmm. was the fireside deliverer. And just, just as a as a side note for those listening, a fireside here in here in Utah, in uh, in the Mormon culture, is uh, is it's like a guest speaker kind of an event where you know youth would or or different groups would go go to a church building typically mm-hmm. and, and have them speak on a specific topic. So, and, and I remember him sitting down with all of the young men and giving, giving us that talk based around especially for youth and the pamphlet and, you know, how the, the words that stuck out in my mind were, you should not touch yourself and you should not touch anybody else sexually. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I realized I had been doing both of those and an immense amount of guilt started running through my body and my mind thinking that, oh my goodness, I'm not going to make it to heaven now because I have sinned. And so I went into my bishop at that time. I was 15 years old. And I confessed to him that I had been masturbating, that I had actual sex with a, with a friend of mine. I didn't name the friend. Right. But... I was expecting to be disfellowshipped or I was expecting to be chastised or ridiculed, expecting my parents to be called, and and nothing happened. And so in the back of my mind, I kind of put it, filed it away that, oh, maybe this isn't as bad as the high counselor or that guest speaker uh-huh. at the fireside had put it. And so I continued going on with my life and it was interesting though because I really wanted to serve a Mormon mission Mm -hmm. and at that time it was at the age of 19. And so again I talked with my bishop and explained you know kind of my feelings and stuff and he says he said you need to not masturbate. Uh, In order to go on a mission you need to you know be going in pure and clean And so I did my very, very best to avoid that. And I did go on a mission and I served for two years faithfully. I enjoyed the work that I was there. But while I was there, those feelings kept coming up and I found myself being attracted to a couple of my mission companions. And it wasn't until just a few years ago I realized one of my very first companions is also gay. He never married, so he didn't, he's never had children. 
but it was interesting to talk to him and find out from him, you know, his feelings. If he was attracted to me, I wasn't necessarily attracted to him. Not my quote unquote type. Right. And I guess I probably wasn't his type either. Yeah. Huh. Well, and it, yeah, it's interesting uh, to go into that, to find yourself in that situation. I, I didn't serve an LDS mission, but, um, you know, you change companions about every six weeks and so uh, I had one companion for 11 months oh <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> you say that so enthusiastically <laughs> but well so um one of the questions I had coming back to that was going back a little bit to the fireside and the feelings of guilt is it's interesting to me that you kind of had the realization of guilt during that time, during that, that guest speaker saying you shouldn't do this, but before that, you didn't have that guilt. You know, mm -hmm. it wasn't... So it's not an inherent... Being attracted to another man or, or being a woman attracted to another woman or anything across the LGBTQ spectrum, you know, isn't inherently bad. We have... It's, it's a social construct or social device that that has been created, you know, as at 15, you had no idea that that was quote unquote terrible to be right. doing mm -hmm. because it didn't feel terrible to be doing. Right. So. I, I think it goes back to, you know, one of my favorite musicals and throughout our conversation, I'm sure I'm going to be bringing up musicals <laughs> frequently. All right. Because it is my escape. And in South Pacific, mm -hmm. uh, Rogers and Hammerstein, South Pacific, there's a specific song in there that talks about you have to be carefully taught to hate and have, you know, prejudices against different types of people or different religions. You have to be taught that. Right. Because the natural child doesn't do that. And as a child growing up, I didn't know that was wrong and it felt good. Mm -hmm. You know, it felt good to be able to do things with my friends. But I could differentiate between the friends that wanted to do that and the ones that didn't want to. And so I wanted to maintain both circles of friends. Right. And it wasn't until I was then taught that this is a bad thing within the church. And that's all I knew was the church. That's what I was raised with. And so I had no other standard to hold my ideas to other than what the church had been teaching me. And so the, you know, the guilt or the shame or the fear of not being able to live for eternity with my family was a huge omen lingering over my head. Right. It's a lot of burden for a 15-year-old to carry. It is. Absolutely. It is. You know, I had a friend, I will say more of an acquaintance from my neighborhood, my ward, the church where all of us attended there, who struggled with same-sex attraction. And I knew he struggled with same-sex attraction. He got into drugs, and then at the age of 18, he, sh he committed suicide. And it was just devastating for his family and for the whole neighborhood to have to deal, you know, with that, that shock of losing someone. Mm -hmm. at such a young age. Right. And I did not want that to happen to my family, you know. But because of the experience I had with my bishop and him not doing anything, 
it kind of let me think, well, maybe this isn't so bad. Right. Maybe, maybe I can be forgiven. Mm-hmm. You know, and then when I was able to go on a mission, I thought, I must be forgiven because I get to do this now. Right. And that's, and that's an interesting situation because that's kind of, it's, it's a little bit unique mm-hmm. in, in our culture here in Utah because, uh, you know, that, that you wouldn't have some of the severe discipline. I, I mean, as far as I know, just from what I've heard yeah. and, and personal experiences, but, and that's a good thing. I mean, that's, I, I would say that's a, a great thing. And, and I guess I would give kudos to that, to that leader for right. not, for not laying in on you about that. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I go back to, I guess when it comes to the labeling part, you know, oh, he's gay, or I tried to avoid that because I knew I was attracted to men. I knew I was attracted to guys my age. And I also had an idol, which was my high school music teacher. Mm-hmm. And I know in one of your other podcasts with another person, we had the same teacher. And I'm, I'm pretty sure he, he felt the same way. We just love this teacher. And yet the community, and my step-grandmother would say it very out loud, he's just a queer. And I'd say, no, but he's married and he has kids. And she'd say, oh, he's just a queer. <laughs> and I hated the word queer. Mm-hmm. And I was afraid of being labeled myself as being queer because she did it in a negative tone. Right about this person that I idolized. Well, it's definitely a word that has has changed in the last, uh, you know, decade or so. You know, as I even remember when I came out, I'm like, I don't want to be labeled queer because right. if you were queer, that was just a terrible thing, you know. Yes. That was worse than gay. So, but I'm glad to see that, that, that we've kind of brought that back into the community and been able to, to make it not a negative connotation. Mm-hmm. One other thing I kind of wanted to go back to was you had mentioned that you had these group of friends that, you know, some you knew where your boundaries were. And, and it kind of goes back to that guilt thing. I just to attribute it was you, you had a moral compass. Mm-hmm. You knew that it wasn't like you were um, living life unfeigned without any rule of law or internal compass to know which way to go and, and just doing whatever. And that, you know, cause I, cause I want to make that very clear that, you know, it's not, uh, you know, there's still a lot of belief that there's some sort of mental issue with being gay. And it wasn't that, you know, you just knew very clearly, these are friends that I can do this with. These are friends that I can't do this mm-hmm. with, and I'm not going to do this with. So you had that moral compass that sometimes we, I remember being grown, uh, growing oh. up and being taught that you didn't have a moral compass if you were gay. You know, right. You, you were doing all sorts of crazy things. And, and I think that took... That was a, a very big, sh- that was kind of a shocking moment for me when, after I came out and realized, oh, I don't have all these rules to live by. Now what do I do? And I just realized, I live, you know? I still mm-hmm. know what I want to do in life. I right. still know I'm not going to go rob a bank because I came out as gay, you know? I, it's not an interest to me. That's not, I know that that's not something I want to do. But So it's, it's just kind of interesting as you, as you were talking about that, just to, to bring that up a little bit that, you know, it's... We all have that internal compass, though. Right. And and I think part of that was very evident when I did come out. And uh, my brothers and sisters all were in shock. They did not realize that, you know, I was struggling with the marriage with my ex-wife. They did not realize. They thought I had gone, th- because I had gone through... LDS social services for counseling and therapy 
and I would say reparative therapy idea, they thought that I was cured. And it really didn't. And so they were very shocked when I did announce that I was getting divorced and that I am coming out as gay, loud, and strong. Their image of me was that I was going to leave my children and abandon them and go off and find some guy and disappear and leave them by themselves. And I'm thinking, why in the world would I ever do that? I brought these precious souls into the world. Why would I turn my back on them? Absolutely. And, you know, and I think it is a stereotype that oftentimes our quote-unquote straight society labels with gay men or lesbian women is that all they want to do is have pleasure and what they don't understand it when it when it boils down to the whole issue it's not about just the sex it's about that bonding with another person who you feel you can bond with male female it 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 it's who you feel like you can bond with most the sexual part is going to happen no matter which way you go. But it's that emotional bond, I think, that's the strongest. And I saw through my, some family members, these, these were in-law family members, who just totally turned me away and said, we will take over raising your children because you are no longer worthy to be a father and raise them. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't understand that. I, I just didn't get it. You know, and they continued saying, you know, you'll just be off at the bars drinking all the time. You're going to, you know, be with a one night stand every single night and you're going to get some disease and, and die off. So you're just not worthy to be an example. And that almost, that well, that was like a challenge. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, I'm going to prove you wrong. <laughs> and... Yeah, and I think that's one of the keys in being a gay father is that you are responsible for those children that you brought into this world. And no matter how hard your ex-wife or your family or your in-laws or your friends, how hard they treat you and how, how difficult the situation is, you can never give up hope on the children. Now, the children go through their ups and downs. Right. Okay. So every one of my children has gone through an up and a down, sometimes multiple ups and downs of their relationship with me. But in the long run, they have all come around and been totally accepting because I have been there since the beginning. I never left. Mm -hmm. I may have left the house. I may have moved out, but I never left them. And I make sure that even though they have church activities, I'm there at their church activities. You know, mm -hmm. When my son got his ego, I was there for his ego. When my daughters had their young women with, with their fathers or daddy-daughter nights at mm -hmm. the church, I was there. And the church members saw me there, even though it was very uncomfortable. It was extremely uncomfortable for me to be there. I went because it was my obligation as a father to be there. You know, and I look, you know, just now hit this little gong in my head. It's like, well, now I understand how those non-member fathers felt 
when the mother was a member and took the daughter to church and then they were invited to come in. Hmm. They felt kind of like an outcast. Right. But many of them showed up and that's that's the key. Show up even though it's difficult. Mm-hmm. Be there for your children because in the long run it can really be a huge benefit in pulling them around and helping them understand and realize I'm, I may prefer to be with a man, but I still love you more than anything. Right. Yeah, and I, I think that's, I think that's key in parenting in general. I mean, mm-hmm. and even straight parents go through this, where, I, as far as I understand, where kids go through phases of liking them or not liking them. We're not any different. I mean, and you know, we we parent the same way as as all the other parents around. You know, we we I guess we have sometimes unique perspective that. I like to look at it with my kids and see that I am giving them an opportunity that I didn't have as a kid to better understand diversity mm-hmm. and have a better understanding of people in general. And I hope that that's what translates to them. But, but yeah, I mean, you just, you just have to be there and be present. And even as awkward as it can be, because I'm kind of in that same shoes, next, next week is my son's Pinewood Derby mm-hmm. for Cub Scouts, and and we'll be there, and it's kind of a fun story. My my oldest, I, I'll diverge slightly. My oldest, when he, so it was, I was still pretty nervous. Now I'm the ward kind of knows me, the people of the church know me, and it's not terribly uncomfortable for me to be there. It's not my favorite thing, but when my oldest was just starting in Cub Scouts and they had their Pinewood Derby, you know, it was a little bit nervous for me, and and I had in-laws with the same mentality, and they still have the same mentality today, and and that's fine. That's whatever they want to worry about. But so, you know, you have this gay dad showing up to this uh, Cub Scout thing, and, you know, it's supposed to be cars, and of course, what what gay dad is going to know anything about making a Pinewood Derby car? And, and my son won that year, you know, and it was just one of those moments. It was just kind of a proud moment. And I'm like, you know, I'm glad I was involved and I'm glad I was here. And, and whether we would have won or lost, it didn't matter. But being there made the difference. And, and it is just a short period of time when you think about it where your kids, you know, live with you for the first 20 years. And then there's a whole lot of life after that that you're going to deal with them. And you're going to deal with them longer as adults than you will as children. As children. And... And those little bits of time that you give as a child make a difference. They do. You know, and, and I think it makes a difference for you, too. It's a benefit for me to go and see that I'm supporting my kid and that he knows that I love them and, right. and that I'm there for them. That is huge for them. And, you know, when, when we finally decided to divorce, my oldest was seven and my youngest was just barely one year old. Mm-hmm. And so my two oldest children had had six and seven years of me living in the house with them and tucking them in and doing things around the house. My youngest two were three and one. They barely remember anything about dad living at home. They've grown up the past 17 years, 16 years, without dad living in the house. But I've always been there. Right. And so, you know, it's it it's been a... I won't say it's been a fabulous experience. It's not been an easy experience. Those first few years, every time I would get in the car and I would drive, I would have them for the day or the evening because we had uh, joint legal custody, but she has physical custody. 
I would get the kids every Tuesday and Friday and then every other weekend. Mm -hmm. So I would pick them up from school. I would keep them during the day. I would drop them back off at home right at the right time. And as I would pull away, what nobody saw was I would get down the road about two or three blocks and pull off to the side of the road because I couldn't see the road from the tears. Right. It was heart-wrenching to say goodbye to the children for that day and go. And later on, I discovered in talking with my children, they also went through an abandonment when I would walk out the door because they didn't know if I would ever come back or not. To a child, in their mind, they're thinking, my daddy just left. I don't know if he's ever going to come back again until that next day. And so I found it very important to call and talk on the phone every single day with each one of the children just to say hello, ask them how they were doing, and to tell them that I love them every single day, no matter where I was. And that helped them bridge from day to day and from visit to visit. And then it also helped me because it kept me in touch with the children. And yeah, as the kids became teenagers, especially the girls, there were, there were weeks, sometimes months, where it's like, I don't want to talk to dad. <laughs> and I never forced it. Right. But then I would tell whoever, whichever child I was talking to, I'd say, would you tell your sister or your brother, you know, I love them. And I hope that maybe tomorrow they might want to talk to me. And I was just persistent in doing that. And I think we have to look at ways to reach out to our children, especially if they're young, to let them know every day we think about them, we love them, we want them to know that we love them, and we want to be with them. But sometimes the court says, you only get to be with them this many days. So that is a critical thing. But in my case, it has worked off very well, or worked out very well. I have an extremely good relationship with all of my children. Um, in fact, when we were married this past summer, my son walked my husband down the aisle, and all three of my daughters walked me down the aisle. And ironically, all of my brothers and sisters and brothers-in-law and sisters-in-law came to the wedding, which 16 years ago, I would have said that would never right. happen. Yeah. Well, and that, that does bring up the question while we're talking about it, you know, and you've answered it to some degree, but as, because, and I remember those feelings, there are some very seared in my mind memories of when I had, when it was time for either my ex-wife coming and picking up the kids or me leaving and just like life just ended. There was just hours of trying to recoup and figure out, okay, what do I need to do next? What's, right. what's next in life? You know, you get in dad mode for, for a couple of days or a day mm -hmm. and then suddenly it's gone. And you know, that takes a lot of adjustment. And, and I can imagine, you know, as you mentioned with the kids, it, it makes it takes a lot of adjustment with them. So question I'll have to ask, and I think I know the answer, but knowing as hard as that was, was it worth ending your marriage at that time? I run through that question occasionally. Would it have, you know, would there be a better way to have done it? Would there be a better timing for it? I certainly think would it have been better for my two youngest 
to have a little bit more time with me at home. But at the same time, in my marriage at that time, it had gotten so distant and cold that even the children were starting to notice, you know, that we didn't, my, my ex and I really didn't talk very much anymore. You know, we weren't intimate anymore. We, we kind of stayed in opposite ends of the house during the day and we only slept in the bedroom at night. I would do, you know, a lot of the chores around the house. She would do her work from, you know, her work. And we didn't really do things that much as a family by, you know, the, the last two, three years mm-hmm. of the marriage. And I just thought, that's not what I want my children to view as a healthy marriage. Yes, I, and I, I agree with that 100%. I, and, I mean, yes, this is my personal opinion, and, and I'm not telling anybody to no to end your marriage right now if you're in a marriage with a woman. I'm not suggesting that because you know the situation best, but I would definitely say, because we're, we're kind of, you know, I hear it on a regular basis, well, we're going to stay together because... Of the kids. Because, for the kids, and, and while, I, I, again, it's a personal choice, and, and you know your situation better than anybody else, I would say... Look at it the other other side as you brought up is what what are you teaching your children, children and do you run. want your children to replicate what you have presented them to be a relationship? Right. As tough as that is, and, and as many tears as were cried during those yeah. separation moments, as much you know, there are times that I look back and I think, man, you know, there are definitely I wish that I would have experienced more of their life right than I have. But I also think I remember my my youngest was six months old when I mm-hmm. when our marriage separated, and I remember just I don't really remember that first six months at all because mm-hmm. I was such in a in a terrible place in my own life, dealing with so much burden and so much stuff thrown on my back. I don't know if I would have recovered from that and even managed to be a halfway decent father if I'd stayed married. You know, I, right? I I think I'd be by coming out, it just kind of ripped off the band aid and addressed it all. Well, you know, and one of the things that I did notice was in coming out, I, I at least felt like I needed to tell my ex-wife first. And so I told her of my feelings. I told her before we got married, long before we got married, I had had a relationship for six years with a guy. And that turned sour because it was my first experience and his first experience in being in a relationship and we were young, and I guess when you're young, you're labeled horny. Well, we we kind of were, and we were thought we were faithful to each other. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we found out we were both not being faithful right. to each other, and it just catapulted and started going spiraling downhill very, very, very fast. And so that was my first experience going into LDS social services because I thought being gay... It's a train wreck. You know, it's just a horrible life. So I need to turn my life around and LDS Social Services is going to do that for me with reparative therapy. Right. You know, and getting back to, you know, the children, you know, I wanted the children to see a happy mother and a happy father. And in that marriage, we were not happy. Right. We were not. And I just thought, this isn't what I want my children to grow up and imagine or believe that this is the way marriages are. I want them to go in believing that there is intimacy. There's mom and dad or dad and dad or mom and mom or whoever. They're kissing and they're pinching each other and they're cooking together. They're working in the yard, whatever. And I thought the only way I can do that is by getting a divorce. 
and giving my ex-wife the opportunity to find a man who can be the kind of man she needs and that I can find a man who I need. And that way, through that act, then the children could see, oh, look at how happy my parents are in these different relationships, but they're happy. Right. And it wasn't until all of my kids started finding friends in school that came from divorced parents. Just like I thought I was the only gay father out there when I first came out, my children think they're the only child that comes from a divorced family until they start talking with their friends at school. And over half the kids at school come from divorced families. And so it was, it was comforting to them to realize, oh, thank goodness, I'm not the only person that comes from a divorced family. And then all of a sudden, you know, as the kids become teenagers, my dad's gay, I'm not going to say anything. And then they slip somewhere along the way and tell a friend, and they say, oh, that is so cool, your dad is gay. That was the huge turnaround for my oldest child, was when her, her very best friend thought it was cool to have a gay dad. So my daughter started thinking, oh, well, maybe it is. <laughs> and so much so that I'm still very good friends with that friend mm -hmm. of my daughter's and went to her and her husband's wedding. We were specifically invited, both my husband and I, to go to the wedding. I took her with my oldest daughter on their senior trip. Their parents, you know, were fine with me, you know, taking them. And so taking in the whole picture, children need that support, but they need to also see being happy. Right. And it wasn't until I came out and really came out and was excommunicated from the church. The day I was excommunicated from the church, I didn't go to my excommunication. Instead, I went up to Temple Square in Salt Lake City and walked around the gardens because I love flowers. Mm -hmm. It's It just is peaceful and it's heavenly to me. And so I was wandering around the gardens during my excommunication. When I came home, walked in the door, my ex-wife came running up and threw her arms around me in tears just saying, are you okay? Are you okay? And I remember holding her and saying, I am relieved. I can't say how happy I am right now. And I, I remember the distinct look she gave me. How can you possibly be happy? You were just excommunicated from the church. You were just pushed out of an entire I, culture and culture. society. And, and, and my response was, I am finally free to live how I feel I need to live. And I'm not being held to a standard that I know I will never be able to reach. Right. I am relieved of that. Yes. And it was ever since that day, and this is going to sound corny, but ever since that day, I have never suffered a headache on Sundays anymore. Call it your dominical hun uh, Sunday headache. I don't know, you know. <laughs> but there was a stress also that was relieved off of me or released from me of not having to steer my life according to how the leadership of a church dictates. I need to live right. that. I could now choose my own destiny, my own path. There are things still at the church that I appreciate. The gospel in its new central self I really believe in I believe you know in God I, I believe in that higher power that we will live after this life and we will you know that that we are saved 
you know, I truly believe that, you know, but the specific doctrines within that, I'm leaving that for everybody else to decide for themselves. Right. But I've made my own decision and I'm very comfortable with that decision. And today I would consider myself spiritual, but not religious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think that, I think that's the way everybody should be in terms of, you know, whatever, if you find the religion that makes you happy, that's great, but it should be that something that, that makes you happy, that brings you peace. That... It, it, it should support you in being a better person, but not forcing you right, to be there. And, and um, I don't know if you're familiar with the musical My Turn on Earth. Uh, I do recall it a little bit yeah, in my youth. It is a, a musical that was written by my dear friend, Carolyn Pearson. And it, it, it's one of those things that talks about, there's a, there's a scene in this musical that talks about the war in heaven. You know, and we hear about the war in heaven from the Bible, from the Old Testament. And how a third of the hosts of heaven followed Satan and two-thirds of the hosts of heaven follow Jesus. And in there, she uses the terms, I have a plan, I will save every man, not a one we will lose, not nothing they will have to choose, but give all the glory to me was Satan's plan. So he would force every single person to make all the right choices to make it back to heaven. Mm-hmm. But he gets all the glory. And then... You have Jesus that comes along and he says, I have a plan. It is better for man. I will let them choose righteously. There are some we will lose, but there are many we will gain. Hmm. You know, and then we'll give all the glory to God the Father. And I think in the terms of the church, churches have the intent to help everybody get to heaven, but they do it in a form that is more like Satan's plan. You're going to go to heaven by doing this, this, and this, and we're going to make sure you do it. And then I'm going to get all the praise and the glory for getting you there. Right. Instead of allowing us to make mistakes, allowing us to choose freedoms, allowing us to do things that may not be in accordance or agreement with their plan, but just loving us. That's that unconditional love that I think we should all be aware of. Yeah, well, and it goes even down to simple terms. It's like if everybody was made to drive an an orange car, that's not everybody likes orange, you know? And pink and purple and blue are all fine colors. So if somebody wants to drive a pink car, then that's their prerogative. I mean, and it doesn't harm anybody. And I I think that's what, you know, unfortunately we see a lot in, in our history through the gay culture is a lot of people have created this is, you know, the... The path you have to follow, well, I guess within our Mormon culture, this is the path you have to follow and it has to be this exact step. And it has to be according to what I think it is, not what you think it is. Right. And that's just not how life works. There's so much diversity in life that people can be diverse. And whether you're religious, not religious, Catholic, Buddhist, whatever, you can still be a good person. There's absolutely nothing barring you from being a good person. Um... And, and I think we have grown up in a, in a culture here in Utah where that hasn't, hasn't been present enough. Mm-hmm. To, there hasn't been enough diversity. I, luckily, I think we're beginning to see quite a bit more right. of that happen here, which I think has helped mm-hmm. I, both the, the religious culture here as well as the gay culture here. Right. Kind of come to terms with, you know, these are good people living their life and, and they're not hurting anybody. They just like to drive a pink car. Right. You know, big deal. 
And, and, and I think that is where we as gay fathers really need to step up a little bit more to the plate to be those examples out there. Because um, going back, uh, one of the books that I read many, many years ago, it was called A Place at the Table. And it was written about, you know, a person who came out to their family and they were pretty much rejected because the family imagined them parading up and down the street in hot pink shorts, you know, with the limp wrist and the lisp and everything else that they imagine from, you know, just the stereotype right. that oftentimes TV in the olden days used to portray. Mm-hmm. And once they start to see, oh my goodness, these are professionals. When I came out in 2002, or one, I changed jobs because I was in education at the time. And it was not cool to be a gay male teacher in any of the districts in Utah. Right. And I was afraid for my own children. I was afraid they would be picked on. I was afraid we would be pointed out or singled out and Mm. maybe vandalized or whatever because of that. So I chose a pathway in the education field, but with a, you know, doing something different, publishing and consulting. And the beauty of that is when it's a national company, they can't discriminate. Right. And I felt comfortable right up front and saying, hey, look, I am this person, I am from Utah, and I am gay. And it was amazing being up front, stating who I was, stating I have children, stating that I am gay, opened up the floodgates of support from people I would have never ever imagined right and so yes i had issues with my own brothers and sisters i had major issues with my ex-in-laws i had issues with our mutual friends but i found a family in my workplace and i found a family once i started to encounter a few other gay men within the area i started to make friendships with them and then it just started branching because this person had a friend over here and this person had a friend and they would have get-togethers and I would be invited to those get-togethers and pretty soon we had this brotherhood of gay fathers and gay single men who would get together and I didn't feel alone anymore and I think if there was one thing I could say it's if you want to stay in a mixed orientation marriage if you want to come out if you're not quite sure at least reach out to these communities because they exist. Right. And they're becoming more front and center as opposed to being hidden in the bushes because it's now okay to be gay. Yeah. And and I think just socializing with them might help those people who are on the fence Mm -hmm. decide, oh, maybe I can have my gay friends and still be in a marriage and make it work and be happy. And maybe being around these gay friends might entice them or encourage them to come out. Right. It could go either way. But at least you now have a group of people that you can hang out with, you can talk to, and you can express your feelings and realize who you are. Yes. Come to, come to grips with who you are. Well, and as, as we talk about that, let me, um, that kind of brings up a, we're going to talk a little bit about this, but about the groups and, and, I do want to talk a little bit about what groups exist. Uh, I mean, here in Utah, for example, so the Gay Fathers podcast is 
is a production of the Utah Gay Fathers. We've been a group that have been around for, I think, nine years, going on ten years. We're, we're getting close to ten years. And, you know, I, when I was first coming out, I was scared to death as to what kind of a group would this be, you know. Mm-hmm. And, again, it was all sorts of stereotypes and judgments and, and everything that I'd been taught as as closed-minded culture that gay men were. I was worried that I would show up and there would just be naked men running throughout the house and, you know, whatever. You know, all, all the wildest things you can possibly imagine. And I want to talk a little bit about what these meetings and these groups are a little bit more like. I mean, we, so the Utah Gay Fathers, we meet and have met pretty consistently. I think there's only a very few periods of time in our history where we haven't had a, a meeting every single Every single first Sunday of the month, hmm. we have a support meeting where people can come together and, and just talk. And it's, you know, talking about whatever you need to talk about in life. If it's coming out, if it's dealing with how to talk to your kids, hmm. if it's dealing with how to date, what, you know, whatever is in your life. But, you know, one thing that I want to point out is that we're a group of like-minded men. We're people that have walked in these shoes. And it's not a party where you come in and you have to sign up to have your divorce finished in three months you know or you have to stay in your marriage or you know there's no there's there's, no parameters yeah and 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 because we know that situation we know that coming out and and living as a gay man or staying in the closet and living as a gay man is a very personal choice and one that somebody has to make on their own you know we're not there to push you we're here to just talk about whatever you want to talk about Yes, you'll hear opinions, but mm-hmm. it's not, nobody, I have yet been to a meeting that has said, you absolutely must do this. Because we all know what it's like to be told, you absolutely must do this. Right. You know, and so we, I would encourage people to reach out. So I, one thing I want to talk about, because we met at the Utah came, County Rainbow, Rainbow Dads, Dads and Friends, Friends. group, um, you know, a little over, about a week ago. So, what kind of meetings do you have? What are you doing here in Utah County now? Well, um, the meeting started in July of last year, and it just stemmed from the need to have a social group where gay men, particularly gay fathers, could meet. And it originally started out as kind of a place where guys could come, they could meet, they could socialize. You know, those that were single, you know, who knows, maybe they could find people who are like-minded. And, and date them, even, possibly. And we had seven people that first meeting. And we met at the Encircle House in Provo, which is for gay youth to come and have refuge, you know, during the day, especially those who have been kicked out of their homes. So we meet there, and we just, we meet for two hours every second and fourth Thursday of the month from 7 to 9 p.m. And anybody is actually welcome to come there we have we have some people who are straight but have gay friends who show up. We have some who are in mixed orientation marriages. We have those who are married, those who are single, those who are going through divorce. We've got people at all different stages. Mm-hmm. And the the main idea is to go around, just introduce yourself, just just say who you are, where you're from, and a tiny little thing about you. And then we open it up and say, does anybody have anything that's really pushing or, or, or pressing on your mind that you would like to talk about? And inevitably, someone has something that they throw out, and then people just chime in. Some people just kind of sit back and listen. Mm-hmm. But they are opportunities 
for men to get together to socialize, to realize and recognize there are a lot of other people that have same feelings or similar feelings and are in similar situations, no matter what situation you might be in. And it's all friendly talk. My husband and I had mentioned, we love coming to these meetings, but sometimes we find there just isn't enough time for socializing. Mm -hmm. And so we opened up our home last week on Thursday and said, those people who, when you're done with work, you want to come by at five o'clock, we're going to offer some you know, little appetizer food, some soda, water, but just come and let's start socializing before we meet at seven o'clock. So that gives you two hours. We had a large group of men who came just for the socializing part of it and then stuck around for the meeting. So we had over 20 people at this meeting and a wonderful discussion came about from that meeting, but a lot of it I think came because we had a chance to socialize first. Right. And share some of our feelings with each other. And I find that's probably one of the most therapeutic things we as gay fathers need is to tell our story over and over and over again and then to hear other people as they tell their story because you know there's going to be someone who's going to have a story that tops yours. And it's heart-wrenching sometimes to hear what some men have to go through but at the same time now, they're in a much better place and they're happier. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it is a support group that is, I, I would advocate that if you can, you come to the Game Father in Salt Lake City to their meetings. You come to the Utah County one. I know that there are probably other chapters around that are starting to get together. I know we've got one starting up in Mexico. Oh, wow. And my husband and I are trying to work with the lead down there to get their group going via messenger on Facebook. Uh -huh. But we also with this Utah County Rainbow Dads and Friends, we have a potluck on the first Sunday of each month. And then there is a potluck in the evening on the third Thursday, or I might have those reversed. There's a potluck <laughs> on the first and the third. There is a meeting on the second Thursday and the fourth Thursday. Mm -hmm. So every week, there is something, something going that's going on for the Utah County Rainbow Dads. And we have a regular group of people that meet and, you know, you have a potluck with gay men, you are going to have incredible <laughs> food. So uh, it, it, it's a great time to come right. and just socialize. Yeah, and they, I mean, and the meetings can vary. Sometimes we talk about some very serious topics and sometimes it's just a, a, a chance out of your week to just laugh. It is. To talk to other peers, people that know, have been in, in your shoes, and just kind of let it just sort of drop your guard a bit and just yep. enjoy life. Yeah. So, and there are lots of, uh, I know that there's a group in Atlanta that, that we've talked to, and and there's a group that we're very close to, the Utah Gay Fathers is very close to up in Seattle, the Gay Fathers Association of Seattle, and they've been around for, I think, 30 or 40 years mm -hmm. now? They've been around for a long, long time. time. And, and so, wherever you're at, and we have on, I mean, both the Utah County Rainbow Dads and Friends and the Utah Gay Fathers, we have online forums that people can reach out. So I would, I would strongly recommend, because I, I think that was important when I came out, was just to, there wasn't an organization. And I was able to sit down and talk to, and slowly and bit by bit, we were able to, you know, find other people and find other men of other interests and start uh, with 
the same backgrounds of fathers and mm-hmm. be able to talk and being able to go home at night and realize, oh, you know, life goes on. Yeah. And they understand. They've seen. I've heard that story. You know, that story's my story. Mm-hmm. And they're okay today. Yeah. You know, that makes such a huge difference. So I would strongly encourage anybody that is finding themselves trying, you know, on the cusp of, of trying to figure out where they're at in, in their life. If, you know, where, if you're still feeling like you're same-sex attracted or you're gay or you're in a mixed orientation marriage or you're, you've come out and you don't know what to do because you don't identify with some of the other social groups within the gay community. There are a lot of resources out there and I, I strongly recommend you reach out. And if you feel like you don't have a resource and you don't know where to find one, if you're in Salt Lake or in, you're in Utah County and you want more information, any of those, feel free to email us at podcast at gayfathers.org and we'd happily connect you with all of these groups and, and try to give you some guidance of what's out there. Just a quick plug for gayfathers.org. We're working on it. The site needs some work. I'm not a WordPress guy. I'm not a, a website guy. I really try, but it sometimes I'm, I've obviously lost some hair because of it. <laughs> We're working on getting the website up to where we can actually have that, those resources listed by area so somebody can search. So, so stick with us. You know, until we're there and you need, you feel like you need some resource, reach out to us. And we'd be happy to plug you in with, with the Utah County group, with the Seattle group, with the Salt Lake group, wherever you're at. We're, we're happy to try to either provide in-person support or, or recommendations for where they might exist or virtual support wherever we can. Right. And there are so many of us who are very comfortable with sharing our stories and or personal chats through messenger or through email that, you know, we, we've been there. We understand those feelings. We understand those frustrations, those concerns as you're coming out, whether you're religious or non-religious. And we don't want you to suffer alone. We don't want you to think that you're alone because you're not. Right. You know, you're not alone. There, There is so much. Well, reach out, definitely. Well, we had so much more to discuss, and I think we're going to have to, to do a part two, which actually I would love to have your husband come on mm-hmm. the podcast and mm-hmm. talk a little bit about what that's like, because your husband wasn't a father before he met you. Nope. And so he sort of inherited this family, and I, I can imagine there's some interesting perspective from him. So maybe we can do that. Yes. here soon and do a part two where we can talk a little bit more about what we want to talk about perfect so we'll we'll wrap up because we're we're hitting that mark let's go to our fabulous five which i think you've got it printed and so i don't have to pull it up on the tablet perfect these are the same questions we ask every guest that comes on and we will ask them to you so the first one of our fab five is what's the best part of being gay everything <laughs> <laughs> it's it's hard to put pinpoint I think the best part about being gay is being free, being able to love myself mm-hmm. for who I am. And that was a huge thing that I couldn't do before I came out loud and clear was I couldn't love myself. Mm-hmm. And I love myself. And I think I'm a beautiful person inside. Uh, who knows about the outside, but you know. I think your husband probably thinks you're a beautiful person on the outside. So we, 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 we'll, we'll suspect that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think that it's just, it's opened more doors for me professionally, socially, and emotionally. Because I don't have to hide behind anything anymore. There's no more facade. There's no more facade. 
Yeah. This is me. This is what you get. Yes. So the second question, what has been the most surprising part of coming out? The people that I thought would be the most supportive and rally around me weren't. Mm -hmm. So my brothers and sisters, my closest friends, they distanced themselves when I needed them most. And so I had to go out and find a new set of family members. And those family members were groups of the gay fathers because I could relate to them. And I found such incredible support and love with this group of men. And uh, to this very day, we are just best, dearest friends. We know each other's children. We are always, you know, chatting back and forth. They have become more of my family, even though my own siblings have now come back into the picture mm -hmm. and have been accepting of not only me, but of accepting my husband. That was probably the biggest surprise for me was who I thought would support and should have supported didn't. And so I had to go out and find a group of strangers who then became my best friends mm -hmm. as my support group. And they exist. They I mean, do. you, you, you will find them. I, I promise you. And again, reach out to us. If you, if you're feeling alone and you feel like you've got nobody, absolutely reach out to us. Third question would be, how is your relationship with your family different now? I think we've talked a little bit, quite a bit about this, but. Right. Well, I mean, we can even go back to, you know, ex-wife, you know, starting with the ex-wife because she is the mother of my children. Mm-hmm. You know, she is an important figure, and I wouldn't say that we are best buds. We aren't BFFs, mm -hmm. but we are on a friendly communication. We text message back and forth. Sometimes we'll be together, you know, talking about, you know, we just sent a son off on a mission, and so we had to decide, you know, how are we going to divide up the, the money, the cost of sending a missionary out, because that's expensive, mm -hmm. and then keeping him out on a mission. How are we going to do that? And so we'll have conversations and sometimes we'll start to just laugh at some things that happen, you know. So we have a working relationship based on we're co-parenting. Mm -hmm. We are still the parents of these children. We will be the parents of all of these children forever. Right. That never goes away. Mm -hmm. Even when the children fly the coop and fly the nest and are gone, we're still the parents of them. And so I need to look at her as my co-parent with the children because she brought them in along with me into the world. So that relationship is pretty good. The relationship with the children over the past 16 years has improved immensely. We're very close. We're very loving. The relationship with my family, my brothers and sisters became very, very, are much closer because a year and a half ago, we lost my oldest sister and my husband was there at my side he wasn't my husband at the time but he was you know we were living together mm -hmm. and he was there by my side and met all of my siblings and because of the circumstances of a funeral you know the sadness but also the happiness that she's moved on to a better place now the attitude of them softened towards him and towards me even to the point that you know several months later my aunt passed away and I was asked to play the piano and the organ for the service, and my husband went with me, and he sat eh, kind of back by himself because he didn't really, you know, know anybody else. All the family members were into the viewing part for the family prayer, and my sister-in-law gets up from her bench, and she goes back to where he's sitting, and she says, what are you doing back here? You come up and sit with us. We're family. And I thought, wow, I would have never expected that from her ever, ever. And so that relationship has change. So I would say over 16 years time, time has healed the wounds. 
Hmm. And we are much closer as a family. We did spend Christmas, not Christmas Day, but my family has this tradition. My brothers and sisters and their spouses have a tradition of doing a Christmas dinner like the first weekend of December or the first week Saturday of January just to get together and talk. And we, we all were there and laughed and ate and laughed and laughed. And at the very end, a brother-in-law says, you know... We haven't heard from your husband very much. He's been here, but we need to hear from him. We want to hear what he's got to say. <laughs> so I think that's going to be part two right. of our next Christmas dinner. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that's that's great. Uh, and I think we you begin to see that, that you know, sometimes their relationships break a little bit, and sometimes they never heal, and other times they it just takes them time to process, and they, mm-hmm. and they come back. So moving on to our fourth question. Do you wish you could have handled any part of the coming out process differently? I know there are probably maybe better ways that I could have approached it, but I think the way that I did it was the proper way for me. Mm-hmm. Because I was married, I felt that it was most important to tell my ex, my wife, my ex-wife first. She needed to know. And so I told her and we sat up all night lying crying and crying. And, you know, we, we came to that idea that, okay, I could go to therapy and counseling to try, you know, and get better. And that's a story later on down the road. But then I went to the stake president, you know, and I told him. And then I went to the bishop and told him. And, you know, it was right after that that they held a church court and I was excommunicated. I stayed with my ex-wife from that day in August all the way up until the 28th of December when I finally moved out and had an apartment, we didn't want to ruin Christmas for the children. Mm-hmm. You know, so there were certain steps that we did take to try and ease that transition. But I would say I wouldn't change anything that I did in coming out because I look back now, it was the right order and it was to the right people mm-hmm. at the right time. I feel good that I came out and was not outed. That would have been devastating for me. And I know a lot of men, they you know, may have left a, a page open on a computer or something and their wives find it and, you know, they come unglued and out them to everybody. And that's devastating. I didn't want that to happen. And so I kind of took a proactive approach right. to doing it. Well, and I would say any any mistakes that you would feel, even in the tiniest that you made all along the way, didn't change the overall outcome, you know. Yep. So nothing has to be perfect, you know. Right. You, you do the best you can. Yep. All right. So then our last question is, well, there's, one at the very end but last question on the fab five is other than the obvious like your kids or family partner what things in your life bring you the most joy music music (laughs) i grew up playing the piano i played the organ i love musical theater when i do have a a blue day a day where i'm a little bit down because everybody has them i just tend to usually be happy almost all the time (laughs) And I've had people say, there's no way you can be happy that much. What drugs are you taking? And it's like, it's called Cinderella, the musical. But I know that when I have a down day or I'm struggling, you know, I put on a musical or I sit down at the piano and I play. And all of a sudden, just this overwhelming spirituality comes out. And yeah, I might be crying, but there are tears of joy. Mm-hmm. They're tears of gratitude, tears of, you know, and after that good cry, you know, watching Les Mis or watching Phantom of the Opera and having your heart break and crying and sobbing. And then all of a sudden it's just like breath of fresh air. I'm happy, Mm -hmm. you know, 
because I was uplifted. I was edified. I was I was shown a piece of humanity. Yeah. And so I you know that that's my happy place. Others find it in other things, but that that's my go-to. No, and and we kind of share that. I'm not near, I'm not musically talented in any way, but I definitely definitely resort to music on on quite a regular basis. So so let me ask you kind of the last question that's not part of the Fab Five is if somebody wanted to reach out to you and wanted to talk to you some more and you know felt like they connected with you in some way, are you okay with them emailing us and, and we putting you in contact with them? Absolutely, yes. All right. So you heard that here. If you would like to get in contact with with either the podcast or with Craig, email us at podcast at gayfathers.org and we would be happy to put you in touch with Craig and, and you can talk some more. Well, Craig, it was it was an awesome hour talking to you and, and I definitely look forward to part two. I, I think it you know I'm glad we didn't try to rush it at the end. I, I, I'm I'm glad that we had this conversation and definitely look forward to that follow up conversation. Okay, well thank you so much and it was a pleasure to uh, visit with you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Gay Fathers Podcast. Subscribe to get alerts for each new show. A special thank you to our guests, hosts, and all those behind the scene that make this all possible. Want to share your story or have questions? Reach out to us at podcast at gayfathers.org.